Hello everybody, welcome to this very special edition of Rye Act Podcast with me, Renfrey Debman. And for this special episode of the podcast, I got to sit down with Connor Murphy, the vocalist and multi-instrumentalist of Foxing, who recently released their fourth full-length studio album, Draw Down the Moon, which we reviewed very enthusiastically on episode 156 of the show. Those with a long-term memory might, might remember that. Foxing's third album, Nearer My God, was my favourite album of 2018. I absolutely adore this band. I think they do a very different thing with every single album that they do. And it really is just, it's very difficult to define. They're a very difficult um, band to define. Uh, they are kind of genreless. They sort of came from that emo revival scene of including bands like The World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die and The Hotel and stuff like that. But they've kind of become, I mean, this new record is like pop, like full on pop, but very, 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 very good indeed. We got into a very deep conversation around the themes of magic and mysticism around the record and how the band incorporated that with their love of D&D &D and tabletop gaming to create a sort of magic realist world in which to lay down these massive pop hooks. We also discuss those records that have inexplicable significance to the listener as well as perceptions of our own significance within the universe and how cult status is the new measure of success. As you can hear we went into a lot of different stuff. It's quite a rambly conversation, but then there's a lot going on beneath the surface of what may, on initial listen, merely sound like one big hook-laden pop record. Surreptitiously, the band have just announced some UK dates. It's almost as if we plan this stuff. The band will be playing Brighton, Birmingham, Glasgow, Manchester, Leeds, Newport, Southampton and London next May. That's 2020. And I implore you to check out the record. And then if you like it, maybe treat yourself and pick up a ticket to the show closest to your hometown. Go on. You deserve it. But for now, check out my conversation with Connor Murphy of the inimitable Foxing. Hello, everybody. This is Renfrey Debman from the Riot Acts podcast. And joining me today, uh, we have a very, very special guest who I'm very, very happy to be talking with. Indeed, we have just been talking some fairly techie, nerdy things, um, which might be an appropriate thing. Uh, I don't know for what we're about to talk about later, but I'm joined by Connor from Foxing. How are you doing today, my man? Howdy. Howdy. I just got back. Uh, I was just at the gym. Oh, lovely. That was where I was right before this. Okay. Uh, have you been doing a lot of gym stuff during uh, lockdown? I feel like, or, or not during lockdown, but have you been getting back into the gym now? It's not back to the gym for me. It is like to the gym. This is, oh. I, the pandemic, I, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape in some way. I was just getting to a point where I was like really having trouble like when we were performing um, because my oh, metabolism really? is just caught up with me. I'm turning 29 in November, which isn't old, but it's, you know, old enough that like you can't eat whatever you want and then go play a show where you run around on stage. So during pandemic stuff, I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to eat better and I'm going to get to a point where if and when shows come back, I'm going to be able to do it. Oh man. I wish I had the same drive that you did <laughs> for well, that kind of it's thing. Like, <laughs> uh, to me, it's, I mean, it's a question of like, well, what are you doing though? You know, yeah. are you going to get in yeah, shape? Yeah, yeah. And then I don't know if you like, like during the pandemic, I had nothing to actually be in shape for. It was just, I was looking ahead and going like, I was having trouble with this before, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever. 
I just want to be better at my job is the main thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can respect that 100%. Um, we're going to get fully in on uh, your your job later on in a moment. But firstly, I just wanted to ask um, and get an idea of the, the bands that inspired you growing up and, mm. and, and ask you who the bands or artists were that were instrumental in you wanting to pursue a career in music. So I think like some of my earliest... It's like kind of, I don't know, chronologically speaking, um, the first artist that I ever like really loved was Weird Al. Uh, oh. My brother got me into Weird Al's Dare to be Stupid. And mm-hmm. uh, and then I was kind of like, I don't know, I'd just be, I was obsessed with just like funny music in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being obsessed with the Jurassic Park video. Oh my the God. Claymation yeah, Claymation, one. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the other, the other aspect to it. I mean, like also seeing UHF, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that was like the first time that I actually like had a connection to music and the connection was like comedy and laughter, like the humor right. of it all. And I think um, outside of that, I had like no real times where I was like emotionally invested in anything or cared about an artist or an album or something. But Weird Al presented this thing where it was like a personality that I like loved. It was so mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it's like so magnetic. Anyway, down the line, I feel like getting a little bit older, I started like getting into just what was on alternative radio in St. Louis. Uh, this station 93x that uh would have i don't know nine inch nails and mm-hmm. uh i don't know like some 41 just mm-hmm. uh just kind of like you know alternative rate like the kaiser chiefs stuff like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and uh so i was passively into that and then i joined a band mm-hmm. with eric mm-hmm. who produced this Hudson, album your right? guitarist yes. yeah 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 so i joined a band with him i was 12 he was 13 and he and the other members of that band were all like way i don't know musically very mature and i like didn't really know what the stuff was that they were listening to but it was like Seagaros, radiohead mm-hmm. i don't know like bjork I just uh, explosions in the sky a lot of post-rock stuff a lot of ma- like mm-hmm. uh proggy math rock stuff mars volta at mm-hmm. the drive-in those kind of things and then also some like uh post-hardcore uh, mm-hmm. Screamo stuff, you know, Vane and uh, uh, Norma Jean. And so mm-hmm. those all kind of, uh, those were all like the, the things that I was like, oh my God, these are incredible. Like, uh, it was like a stepping stone into like actually listening to music and like uh, waiting for albums to come out. It was like the first album that I remember waiting for it to come out and being excited about it was uh, In Rainbows. It was like my oh, freshman yes. year of high school. Mm-hmm. It was like a release, you know, that was so in just uh, what's going to happen next kind of feeling. And the way that that album was released oh. and it was so sort of at the time. And we, we actually did a, um, we, we have a little strand called the Classic Albums strand that we do on our on our podcast. And, and we actually did In Rainbows, but it was one of the first records we did. And I, I absolutely adore that record. I think it's incredible. But yeah, just the whole release around that. And, and, and it was so, now you get people releasing on a pay what you want thing, like quite frequently. Oh yeah. But it was revolutionary. That was revolutionary yeah, though. Yeah. Also, like, even the spectrograph with, like, mm. the nude video, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. the interactive music video. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And also that pay what you want thing. So I went to a Catholic high school mm-hmm. um, and they had this weird in the morning. It was like a news show that would pop on. It's like a weird. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was like some really fucking weird Catholic school like news program in the morning. And made it was it always in, made in house for the school. It's like, made for like a bunch of Catholic schools throughout the country. Okay, so okay. I don't know. It's super weird, mm. garbage. Anyway, mm. the uh, the point is, they did a. Um, there was a day that I was like sitting in homeroom, just like you know, very tired, and looked up, and it was like they were covering Radiohead, like the pay what you want, because it was like that big of a news thing that it it like actually like applied to to them, yeah, yeah, news yeah. for like I don't know. It was so cool, and there was again, it was. And I was like, I know that band. Like, I know. Yeah. I know who that is. And like, looking around, I don't know. That's actually a bit like that album cycle was uh, something that we referenced a lot for when we were putting together like our release uh, for this album because we knew we wanted it to be like that kind of thing. We want to have that kind of impact for somebody else where they can like 10 years from now look back on it and go like, oh man, remember the way that that thing came out? It's like, of course, it's cool when you like an album for a long time after, but it's to me, it's even cooler when you're like, I remember the way that thing came out. Yeah, I I, I was going to ask about that a little bit later, but uh, let's let's do it now, seeing as you kind of <laughs> half brought it up anyway. So there's a sort of, I feel like, um, forgive me for using the businessy word, but I feel like the marketing for this record has been a really interesting kind of project. You've put together a game at drawdownthemoon.org, which is a really fascinating um, game based on the rituals, which is to do with the book, which is which is where you got the title of it from. And it also comes down to, I mean, goodness me, I, I, I feel like I'm explaining this in a really poor way. So maybe I should- No, you're, you're nailing it. Maybe I should give it over to you, but your love of sort of tabletop gaming and D&D comes into it as well, especially in sort of, sort of the photos and stuff. Can you maybe take what I'm saying and, and, and tear it apart and explain exactly what, what I'm trying to say in a far more better way than I'm doing so myself. I'll explain it in a somewhat chronological way. Okay. That would so be, that it kind of makes good. more sense, but only because I, when I try to explain this, it's it's always upsetting to me to like, because I'm like, it makes so much more sense in my head, you know? <laughs> and it makes sense when you're playing the thing, Yeah. but to explain it is like, feels stupid. Yeah, it feels no, like you're trying no, no. to explain like a... I don't know. It's cool. Anyway, it's, I I can assure listeners it is really cool. It's really and it's really also cool. like I hope it doesn't come across as pretentious. None of this was meant to be like some kind of like, oh, this thing's gonna be so over your head and uh, so cool. We really the the truth of like the the baseline of it is mm-hmm. like we really wanted it to be like a fun thing for people to do, especially it's like being in lockdown or yeah. anything like that. It's like we really like sank the marketing budget into this thing because we wanted it to be something that again people could look back on and go like that was so much fun when that album came out like i actually was a part of a community trying to like put something together absolutely so we kind of made it a puzzle but anyway chronologically how it worked was we got the idea for like what we wanted to write the record about which is this kind of idea of like cosmic significance you know like your place in the world or your place in the universe, like when you look up into the stars and you think like, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm so insignificant and trying to like kind of argue against that and say like through these connections between yourself and other people and ideas and communities, those connections are significant. Like you are nothing, but like your connection to something 
is everything. Well, uh, the pale blue dot is a good example of that. So Carl Sagan's uh, Carl Sagan had a beautiful th- that f- that photograph of Earth. Oh yeah, yeah. Pale, you know what I mean? Like the pale mm-hmm. blue dot thing. And Carl Sagan said everything that you've ever known, everyone you've ever loved, all the emotions are on that um, mm-hmm. are on that pale blue dot. That is it. But um, yeah, that can either make you think, oh my god, everything is like not worth anything, or it puts things into perspective in a sense that can be uh, very uplifting and positive as well. Well, and, and that, it, so I wasn't even going to say it, but I'll, I'll throw it in there because mm. that's, I think that's wonderfully put. The, the reason why I said we should, I want to write about this is um, there's a, an adult swim special called Joe Para Talks You to Sleep. It's yes. a comedy. Th- Do you know, are you familiar with it? I'm uh, only from doing research for this, but I, I am aware of it. Okay. Please. Well, just to reiterate to, to your listeners, Please, yeah. uh, it's a, a comedy special, but it's essentially this amazing comedian, Joe Para, And uh, he's telling kind of like mundane, very funny, but like stories that are supposed to make you kind of fall asleep. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to be like a meditative thing. Anyway, mm. he tells a story about Stephen Hawking cheating on his wife. Mm. And he says, uh, think of it from his perspective. He's looking up in the stars all day and pondering how insignificant and small he is. Uh, so what does it matter if one man cheats on his wife? But then thinking down that same train of thought, if you are so small and insignificant and the universe is so vast and you found one person that trusts you and loves you, why would you want to hurt them? Mm. And so I think it was that dichotomy of like nothing matters, but then also like everything matters. if you find one person who is so dedicated to you and so, you know, out of the billions of people that you could find, it's like that is actually something to really nurture and uh, protect, I suppose, or, or, or be very, very grateful for. Okay, so with that whole Joe Para idea, the the next move for us was how do we dress it up aesthetically and how do we write about it lyrically? We know the concept of it, but like how do we actually execute it? And so Eric and I kind of gave each other reading material to like chase down Mm -hmm. so i picked out drawing down the moon Mm -hmm. eric picked out this ozark magic and folklore book and so we had kind of these ideas for like aesthetically how we wanted to do things but we know we want to base it in magic the reason being that i've written a lot about like catholicism and like catholic school upbringing because i i don't know i resented a lot i Mm -hmm. grew up with it and it uh, i think it did some whatever (laughs) It did its damage, uh, like yeah. it does to most people. But um, so I wanted to focus on something that I was actually interested in. So we were kind of like, okay, well, I love fantasy, and I love D and D, and I love Lord of the Rings and all this stuff. So why not try to like go to the roots of it and think about like witchcrafts and neo paganism and magic and ritual, all this stuff. And so in doing it, we were exploring and and really. Also thinking about it from the perspective of the Ozarks, which are a part of Missouri, where we're from. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so that's how we were going to like dress it up um, and write about it and then split it up into 10 themes for the record. Now, with all of that in mind, <laughs> that was how we kind of wrote the record. And then when it came to the kind of how are we going to release it, that was happening kind of while we were writing the record as well, um, because... Obviously, at a certain point, the world uh, shut down and we were like, "Okay, when is this thing going to come out and how is it going to come out and how many songs have to come out, you know, like before? 
which was really is really tough because we put out half the record before the thing came out mm. and we knew we were going to and we were really like how are we going to keep momentum for six months if the rollout is that long yeah which is it's not easy no. uh not at all. so what we did was i was listening to a lot of like different podcasts about like magic and um mysticism and uh witchcraft and so I, I was listening to one in particular called uh, the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, mm-hmm. which is really, really great. Um, mm-hmm. In one episode, uh, the host is talking about uh, virtual grimoires or digital grimoires, which were these, like, in the Wiccan community, this short-lived fad of, uh, like, floppy disk grimoires. A grimoire, if you're unfamiliar, is, like, what you write your spells in. Okay. Uh, you record your spells and rituals. Uh, and so for a while, people were doing that on like floppy disks because right. it was like you they were just doing it because they could. And so our idea was, what if you found somebody's digital grimoire? Like you found somebody else's like kind of diary, like magic diary, but it was ours. The character that we're creating here has a grimoire and you just kind of stumbled across it. And you're not supposed to really interacting with it it's kind of guarding the secrets and the secrets are like the music that we're releasing so anyway we put it together like this huge kind of puzzle and scavenger hunt thing and we applied you know prizes to it and behind the scenes kind of stuff Mm -hmm. you know demos and remixes and all these different things and people really came together and and had a great time with it and the people that worked on the website did an amazing job they were like they created a text adventure game, which is yeah. crazy. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with text adventures. They're... I've been playing around with it today. So, I mean, text adventures, they're essentially like back in the back in the 80s, I would say, late 70s, early 80s, basically before computers could really do graphics, um, you'd have text adventures so that, yeah, I don't know. It's a little bit like the um, fighting fantasy series of books. The like, uh, I don't know if you're aware of those, but like, you know, if you want to Yeah, like a choose-your-own-adventure. Choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but it was over the computer and, and, and like it would just uh, say, you know, you have have gone into a dungeon and there is a witch in front of you what do you want to do and then you'd have to type in what you wanted to do and nine times out of ten you type something in and it'd be like computer says no you can't do that <laughs> but yeah. then eventually oh you'd yeah find of course the, eventually you'd find the thing that you actually needed to do there yeah some, nothing there some, happens yeah there That's was some the, very the classic there were some very famous ones um the hobbit had a really good one the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy um yeah i I remember these these a little bit from uh, from a long long time ago but yeah well the big one that we were inspired by was zork um yes yes of course which is really good uh Mm. and i mean and also there's this great documentary called get lamp um Mm. that's like the history of uh text adventure games Mm -hmm. but also part of that was we wanted the whole thing to both be a to be connected in with the album, like the songs themselves to relate to each song directly and to also connect the idea completely. But then the last part of it was that it would be kind of an evolution of games. Okay. Um, so it starts with a Ouija board and then it's a text adventure. And then where the lightning strikes twice is the the third single that came out. That one was with a uh, digital grimoire that was supposed to be like, uh, if you ever play Mist. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with Mist. Yeah. And then there's like, uh, 
like kind of like you know mobile app type mm. thing, mm. Uh, and then the last one was an AR. Um, right. I d- am I missing one? I might be missing one. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be like an evolution of like kind yeah. of uh, video well, the- games, but not you know nothing too insane where we we're creating some kind of like actual arcade game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted sure. to keep it somewhat simple and as if. It could be created by somebody like just kind of like using that game to protect their like diary or their spells, you know. We wanted it to just be a thing where when people interacted with it, they felt like they were in on like kind of a secret and it was like fun. Uh, And by all accounts, it like it just seems like it worked and we had fun doing it. It was really stressful, but like um, it was fun. Yeah, it's a really it's a really cool innovative way to release you know like to release a new record and and i really really admire and love when i think if you listen to draw down the moon you could on a surface level just sort of see like a really cool electro pop record really in lots of ways and we'll get into that and like genre boundaries and pushing things you know a bit later but like um but if you then go into it and and look into it more you so many more things open up and you discover that there's actually way 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 more involved um in in uh the creation of these things and way more has been thought about than than you would think it's about discovering things as the years progress you know i I always find those are the most interesting records you know that is um we really again like kind of all going back to like that in rainbows um release this is our fourth record and I think we had a lot of time to really think about what we wanted to do with this, mm. especially because it wasn't something where it's like, well, it's going to come out and then you're going to go on tour. It's like, we mm. don't mm. know when shows are coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we really had a lot of time to think about like how we wanted this to happen and how much effort we wanted to put in. And I think we kind of got to a point where we were like, we just want to put in all, all of our time and effort into this. Um, I, I learned how to like rotoscope for our second video, uh, like rotoscope animation. Um, okay. So the second video that we released is like animated and it's rotoscope. So it's every, f- it's you shoot a music video and then you break it down to frames and then you draw over each frame. It's like right. what the first Disney movies, how yeah, they were made. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and it was, I learned how to do it for that and it worked with uh, an animator and pulled it off and it was awesome but i mean it took like 400 hours to do uh and along with that we were doing these like text adventure games and like Mm. you know writing the text adventure and everything it's like it took up all of our time the release itself not to mention like all of you know we're (laughs) making an album as well Mm -hmm. uh it took up like all of our time but it was like the most now that it's out and people um kind of are able to hear it all and they uh they were able to interact with all these things and we can actually see like people playing the games and everything it's like an extremely emotional thing because it's like that i I was like i cried over how stressed out i was (laughs) for like making that thing that you're like watching or playing or whatever and to see people do it and say they're having a good time rather than being like, this is stupid and like, you know, I hate this. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, yeah, yeah. it just feels so good. Well, people just seem to be responding to it really, really well. And, and that's, yeah. I, I initially, we're going off on different tangents here, which is absolutely fine. By oh, the way. Sorry, please, yeah, sorry no, about no, 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 that. No, 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 please, please, please rein me in anytime I'm doing that. I, no, no, I'm no, a no. rambler. 
to be honest with you, we like tangents, so it's totally fine. <laughs> um, but initially, I, I asked you that question about what bands inspired you growing up, because as you said, you've released four full-length albums with Foxing now. And so far, every single one has been completely different from the other. <laughs> and initially, when you released the Albatross, you were put into this kind of emo revival thing, which I think is mm -hmm. a really cool scene, you know, um, which has some brilliant, brilliant bands. But uh, I mean, it's accurate to a degree, but also I think you've really just made a mockery of genre completely and utterly <laughs> so uh, i was curious as to how you decide what direction you're going to be pursuing with each record is that something that you sit down uh, in advance and plan or is it so or do you just start writing a bunch of songs and see what direction they take organically i don't think it's ever been conscience uh, conscious it's mm -hmm. like a um i think it's truly somebody writes the first song of the thing in this case uh the songs beacons and go down together were the first ones written and they kind of just set up the direction of like okay this is what we're kind of gonna do sorry um, to interrupt you but I, I read somewhere that you wrote beacons a month prior to near our god coming out which kind is, is that correct or, or something like that that sounds about right it right. was either a month before or a month after. A oh, month before. Um, okay, but but around that time. So so this stuff is going mm -hmm. on like way before we get to hear it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but only those two songs, really. Okay. Um, those two kind of existed for a while. Those. Mm. So it was really weird. I, I kind of wrote out the skeletons of those two songs way in advance. And I think I had it in my mind that we needed to have like something made. Um for the in-between time between Near My God and Draw Down the Moon. Uh -huh. um, not to release, but to just have in our back pocket should we need new music. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the start of my kind of uh, mania with this album, which I think was like severe. <laughs> uh, I, I truly like, you know, to, with, your, with your question about like kind of um, deciding the direction of something, I took this album on, like, on a personal level, I took it on as kind of like a proving something uh, or like a um, got to write in this certain way uh, and really got to do it quickly uh, and put all of my attention and time into it thing. And it was kind of detrimental at times because I was, uh, <sighs> I was really, like, stressing myself and uh, our band out. Um, being like, we got to go, we got to move, we got to do more songs. And I think that kind of like, when I listen to the album now, I kind of hear some of that. And it's sort of cool to me. <laughs> it's mm. sort of cool because you can hear like, sort of this manic approach to writing, uh, mm. which I, I think it, all credit to Eric, really, because Eric produced this album. And Eric like, seriously just harnessed every amount of stress or mania or depression that was happening. And like, really harnessed it into a record that sounds very unified and complete, which is no easy task. If you listen to kind of the demos of all these songs, they are so all over the place. And so mm. like, you know, it's an eclectic album as is, but like mm. even just the way the songs are recorded were like so different. But anyway, again, I'm rambling again. I'm, no, uh, no, no, please. I'm so it's, absolutely fine. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. I think what you've got as a result with Drawn Down the Moon is effectively in many, many ways probably in some respects the most accessible album you could have released and yet at the same time 
there's always this kind of um it's almost as if foxing do things the hard way but yeah. in order in order i mean i, I don't know if i can really even describe one of the things that i love about your bands i find it really difficult to describe your music and the way that you do things and as someone whose job it is to you know like a large part of my describe job is things <laughs> describe things and but when you come across bands that it's really really difficult to do that with um that's actually you know sort of a joy in a way it's also kind of a pain in the ass but it's but it is sure. a joy because it's like well this feels new and innovative and different to me you know i think there's a very clear foxing line through all four of your records whilst at the same time they all sound totally totally different so i'm just curious to know i mean usually the artist himself is the last person you want to ask is in terms of like how do you define what your sound is mm-hmm. but i'm very curious um what do what do you think makes a foxing record a foxing record you know i think first off it's like I think that there needs to be some kind of conceptual foundation to it. Hmm. Not necessarily for it to be like a concept album, but like I think all of our records have had this foundational sort of mission statement of like, this is what this album's going to be about in some way. And this is what we're going to try to ask and answer. And it's going to always be open-ended in some way. I think that's the lyrical approach. Uh, uh, going back to like the Albatross, it was always kind of like we set up here is what the idea of the album will be. And then we try to execute it and answer that as we make the album. Um, Musically, it really ranges so heavily. And it's like one, I think one through line is like John, our drummer, uh, John's drumming is like uh, truly like the backbone to every one of our records. Um, And I think it really... He's such a consistently good drummer and also is very like very eclectic in what he can do. So, I mean, if you listen to each record, you can really kind of hear like the same, I don't know. It, it, rhythmically, it changes uh, drastically, but like you can kind of hear the same motifs of just like, this is the same drummer every time. Also, mm-hmm. it's like I'm the same singer every time. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I think, especially like Eric started really writing on uh, the second record that we did, Dealer. Mm-hmm. And I think from Dealer to Draw Down the Moon, there's a consistency in the way that the songs have been written. So I, I think of like, the Albatross is like a total outlier uh, in our discography. Um, so do I, all, if, if it's any, yeah. yeah, so do I actually. Yeah. Well, because it was written in such a different way. Eric came yeah. in very late into that. Um, and it was written in a way where it's like, everything was jammed out. Um, we really were just kind of like making parts and then making another part after and then another part and like just guessing at everything. Trying to like fit the, it all together. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, I think like the two signs, the medic and Rory are like the only two that really have like a true structure to them. Um, and so, you know, it's just, and, and coincidentally are the two most popular songs. <laughs> Yeah. from that record yeah and like I, I, a lot of people I'm, I'm really glad you're saying this because i i do agree with everything but coming from me it sounds like an asshole thing to say no so, no i'm really I, pleased well, to say that. i, I do think agree that with you yeah i think that it's it, there's there's a few things it's like a lot of people will say like they this band hasn't put out a good album since the albatross and a lot of yeah, times i'm like that. you know i respect your opinion because mm. you might like that kind of music mm. and you might like the effect that we brought to that kind of music you know we like 
did that thing and did it our own way and incorporated strings or whatever we did, you know, I, I appreciate that. But also, like, we can't write like that again because it's like, do you, we have to write in a dumber way to do mm. it that way. You mm. know what I mean? Like, mm. it would be regressive for us to write that way. And, and that sounds like an asshole thing to say if I was talking about the genre, but I'm specifically talking about that, that album. Record. Yeah. Like, that was such, it was such chaos and it was so frustrating. And it wasn't because we were like laboring over this, you know, brilliant piece of music. It's like we were truly just like stumbling in the dark, just like, here's a part. What if we do this? Like, here's a riff. Why don't we try that out? You know, I, again, like I, I that that album has a place in my heart, but I'm also just kind of like it can't be created again because it's uh, <laughs> we kind of have to knock ourselves over the head to do it. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and and I have seen, I've seen those comments online. I I know the ones you're talking about where people are like, oh, the Albatross is the only good record they release, and all that sort of stuff, which I think is absolute nonsense. By the way, it's person <laughs> personally, I I like that record, but it is by far and away my least favorite record if i'm totally honest I, it's, um, a, it's very raw that is yes. the nice way to put it yes <laughs> yes um, that's the way i would put but it, it's yeah. true it was recorded in five different studios because we didn't have money oh, no. and we were just like going to places that we could record for free we recorded a lot of it at my college yeah you're still studying when you do the albatross yeah i recorded a lot of like the strings and everything so it's like mm. it, you know it's just not Again, whatever. A lot of people are like, this is, that's why it's good. Because, but, you know. But also sometimes people find records at a specific time in their life where um, it really, really connects with them. Totally. Um, I mean, you know, um, I was, I mean, just give an idea of what me and Connor were wanging on about before, uh, before I start press recording on this. I was going on to you a little bit, fanboying a little bit and telling you how much I loved Nero nearer my god and it's partly because i think the record is you know brilliantly structured and brilliantly written and brilliantly put together it's also because it it hit me at a time in my life where i just felt like i totally completely and utterly it resonated with me so much and it became my album of the year that year and and there is a chance i don't know if this is the case or not i you know but there's a chance that that will remain my favorite foxing album forever because of that association that i have with it so sure. it's a difficult thing you know it's a difficult it's a tough one and there's certain things like um sometimes when you're in like the worst spot in your life yeah. and a record comes along yeah. and really affects you it's like yeah. you don't even want to get to a point where another record will do that for you because it's like then you'd have to be in another horrible spot and yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. and i think about that a lot with people because a lot of people like that are saying that thing about the albatross it's like they were in high school and yeah. it's like yeah you know chances Absolutely. are if you're listening to foxing and you were in high school you you probably had a hard time in high school and yeah. like yeah. uh i think because of that like i think about albums that resonated with me when i was you know a teenager and I didn't have a great time in high school. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that stuff is like, yeah, that a band putting a record out from that time, it's like they might never put out a record that I love as much as that one. But that doesn't mean that the albums are bad. That just means like I found it in a spot in my life where I really needed it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, mate, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like you're you're basically reciting it, my feelings towards Nero, my God, particularly. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you absolutely. know, I, to put it back to, to, okay, so speaking to that and also speaking to people that are, you know, the first one is the best one. Why won't they just make something like that? Mm -hmm. um, I think 
I'm so happy to have the fans of our band that we have and the community that's kind of been built around it because the best part about it is that everybody, the expectation is to do something different and to not just repeat and build off of the last one. It's to wipe the slate clean and do a new thing. Exactly. Which is the most freeing thing as an artist that you can ever be given. Is like, hey, all we want is for you to start from scratch. Yeah. And that is a difficult thing for music writers, of course, but yeah. an amazing thing for us. Um, the one thing that we have, the pill that we have to swallow with that is that means that there's a like a limit to our success because like a label can't sign a band that's not going to like be consistent, you know, and like. I don't think a music, like a, a, a website, I don't know, like Pitchfork or something, I don't think they can really champion a band that doesn't, you know, <laughs> isn't Dude. in some way predictable, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's not to say that every album of ours is so unbelievable. We don't range from, you know, country to metal to uh, rap or something. There's still a, a indie rock consistency to everything or mm-hmm. emo or alternative, whatever you want to categorize it as. Uh, but that being said, it's like it's different enough that it's uh, it impairs us as uh, a business, I guess. I suppose for people like myself, it takes more effort to sum it up and describe it and explain it. And now, I, I mean, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but um, a large part of the reason why I set up Riot Act with my co-host Steve is because we wanted to champion a lot of those things. Yeah. Because the music that I listen to personally it, it that, and the music that I respect the most is those bands. And, you know, you can ask any of our listeners. I mean, they're probably all fed up of me wanging on about how bored I am of certain bands or certain genres just releasing the same fucking record over and over and over again. Yeah. But, but I mean, that is, it's practically a catchphrase of mine by, by now, you know, I'm, I'm really bored of it, you know, and that I really is... go to town on those bands to be honest with you, but it's because I'm sick of hearing it, you know, I'm sick of it. Yeah, and you know, I don't um, on a recorded line. I'm, I don't. I won't say like names of any artists because no, no, I, no. I really don't want to be a dick about this to anybody. No, 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 no. It's my job but, to do that. It's not your job to do that. <laughs> no, yeah, it's yeah, it's up to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but like, and, and sometimes it's like, I don't, it's not even that I think like <laughs> these are like bad artists or anything. But there's there's a lot of of artists that make really safe albums. And also the way they release the album is really safe, you know, and I get fed up with it because it's less about the artists making that record and more about the way that it is that artists is responded to and the way that they're written about or something where it's like, this is the, you know, uh, the pinnacle of of music in 2021 is like this extremely safe record and i'm always just like it's upsetting to me not because i think it should be us but i look around and i'm like there are artists out here doing wild things that you know we just kind of glaze over you know there's a mm-hmm. i'm sure you're familiar with that uh, black midi mm-hmm. yep, yep 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 that is i don't know if you cared for that album i loved it it's um, bonkers yeah i yeah. I, I we we were we, yeah, we, we liked it a lot. And we certainly we will champion stuff like that because they're clearly doing something really different, that very jazz-inflected indie kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, we've certainly dark. got a lot of... Yeah, dark, really dark. And certainly got a lot of admiration for them, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You know, I, I, but it's really just that thing of like, look, that is an artist. I feel like there used to be a time, I mean, like earlier in, in our career, there was a time where there was kind of this distinction. It was like, when you go big and bold, there is a critical reception to it. That is uh, this positive thing that's like kind of giving you points in like uh, love just for the fact that you tried something, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um or that it did, you did something different. And then on the other side, there's the more commercially successful things. And um, they might not be critically respected, but they're going to do well. So they don't need the help from critics, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and and if, they, if they apply to both worlds, that's great. You know, like, fantastic for them. But at this point, I think those, those two sides have become this gray matter that is so upsetting where it's like just this safe, non-risk like no risk is rewarded so much like uh and again it's like i'm not i'm really not applying this to our music nearly as much as i apply it to other artists that are going really big and like kind of just getting shafted in terms of like the critical response or just like people paying attention and it's because we live in this garbage garbage world of like you know tiktok is is uh (laughs) Where everybody, it's like the biggest form of music discovery in the world right now is TikTok. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. well, I don't know what to do with yet that. You know, you got yeah. 15 seconds to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've always sort of felt like the more you put into something as a listener, the more award you will get out of it, provided that there is um, some depth to whatever you're listening to. Sure. Um, and I think that's absolutely the same with ev- the, the case with every single Foxing record up to this point, like, like most definitely. And the more you put into the record, the more you get out of it. And that's what, you know, I love. I love Tool for that reason. I love Radiohead oh, for that reason. You, you know, know tool, tool is a great example of that. Mm. Um, obviously, Radiohead is as well. I mean, Radiohead was putting out records at a time where that those distinctions that we were talking about before was like, I mean, to to a crazy point, you know, like yeah. they want a Grammy for Kid A. That yeah. will yeah. never happen again. Yeah. Huge successful album, uh, which is insane considering it's Kid A. And a lot of people hated it on release as well. You know, but people did. But like, if you look at, I, I wrote something for, it was like the anniversary of Kid A. And like, mm. we got asked if we wanted, whatever. So I wrote something about it and... um I didn't realize, because I wasn't, like, musically aware. Like I said before, the first record that I remember being released was in Rainbows. Mm. So, you know, mm-hmm. two after that. Mm. Uh, anyway, looking back on, like, the release of Kid A, it was really, like, <laughs> it was kind of frustrating to read because I was, like, there was a time. I always just assumed that this was, like, a critically panned album that, like, grew over time. It's like, no, when it came out, people were in love with it. And not just, like, critics and music freaks. No, it's like, Idiotech was, like, a huge song. That's yeah, it was. insane. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I feel like I'm always... I always get to this point where I'm, like... I feel like a like an old man being, like, why isn't music like it used to be? Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy for anybody safe or... Be safe or take a risk. Like, I'm happy for people's success. Like, I don't want to be a hater, but... I, I think what what it really comes down to is the frustration when you're like, why isn't this thing that I love bigger? Uh, mm, mm, mm. God, yeah. That's why I got into music journalism, pretty much. Yeah. 
yeah i mean look i i, I totally get it 100 percent. and i think like foxing have been one of those bands since um i got into you through dealer um and uh, the pr who was working on it at the time was just like this is gonna be right up your street and she was right <laughs> um and you know and then and then kind of progressing with the band and, and realizing that like no you're going to do something totally different every single time that's genuinely exciting to me and that doesn't mean i'm not looking down on bands when they do decide to do the same thing over and over again if that's what they want to do the only people who should be able to decide what they want to do within their band is the band themselves i don't think anyone else i don't think anyone else should be able to sort of dictate that but unless what they're doing is such an insanely high standard um if it's mm-hmm. going to be the, if you're going to serve me the same meal over and over again i'm gonna get bored of that meal like i like steak but i don't want it every fucking day you know so that's the thing you know with that being said i think i would have i would have a different tune if the albatross or any of our records were a massive hit Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like if they were a massive hit where everybody was like losing their minds about Mm -hmm. it i think it would be really hard for us to go like Let's just change it up here. You know, like, I think it takes an insane amount of courage to do something like, you know, going from OK Computer to Kid A. I think that takes, like, just a wild amount of courage. it does. And uh, there's so many other artists that have done uh, the same thing, where it's, like, a massively successful record and then change it up entirely. But for every one of those, there are 10 more bands, 100 more bands that upon a massive successful successful record they will follow it with something that's trying to capture the same idea yeah. you know like and sometimes that works really well interpol i feel like is a great example mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. interpol just made the same fucking record over and over <laughs> again it was like a good record yeah yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and like you know it kind of knock them for it if you want but also it's like kind of an undeniably good you know series of albums yeah. um and I, I don't know, I, I like, again, it's like we might have just kept doing the same thing over and over again if we won like a, a Grammy for it. Yeah, 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 sure. I can I can understand that temptation 100 percent. And obviously uh, bands in particular, I think any industry where there is a lot more um, where maybe you're not getting the financial rewards uh, for the uh, amount of time and effort that you put into something let's just say so the music industry is a massive example of that you know um and it's been very difficult particularly during this pandemic where we've had a lot of time to sit and think about our lives and the life choices that we have made and as a result we're seeing lots of bands we're seeing lots of promoters we're seeing lots of things like shutting down or deciding that they're going to do something else i know that your guitarist um ricky decided to move on and go into a different career as as a result of that but i was also reading that um the, the, thinking about it through the pandemic that you had the complete opposite reaction and actually you wanted to throw yourself into foxing even more so what what was yeah. the process that you went through with that and what made you decide that, that actually I want to chuck myself into even more financial insecurity and, and really go yeah. for this that's a brave thing to do what made you do that I think that um, I just got to a point right before the pandemic I was uh, like uber driving right we're working on the record, but not like, you know, every day or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was Uber driving. I was working at a, a venue, the venue that we actually played like two nights ago mm-hmm. uh, called The Pageant in St. Louis. That was our first show in two years. And it was uh, the craziest thing in I the world. Imagine. Also, 
amazing experience where everybody had masks on in the entire place. Right. Like I worked at that place as door staff. And uh, so I know a lot of them and they were telling me afterwards, they're like, since shows have come yeah. back a little yeah. bit, they're like, nobody has had a show here where everybody has their mask on the entire time. Fantastic. And right. it was like 1100 people. Anyway, it's, it was just That's amazing. Cool. Going back to what I was saying. Um, so I was Uber driving, I was working at this venue I was really unhappy doing those things. Um, and I think when everything shut down, there's a sincere amount of dread that everybody had. Obviously, our collective existential dread was, you know, impossible to ignore. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody in the world had a moment of like, okay, wait, what is my life right now? Because all I have is like time to think yeah. about it. Um, and in thinking about it, I don't know, it put a lot of things in my life in perspective, but like a just in terms of, you know, this album and, and music, it really made me realize like without it, without having like a tour on the horizon or releasing, recording, writing music, it's like I feel empty and I feel that is so scary to me. Like in realizing that, I was like, that is all I want to do. Like I want to abandon any kind of like backup plans yeah. in some way. Yeah. And I want to dive totally into it. You know, there's, there's a, I feel like it's a common thing with, with musicians of especially um, being in like a band because a band is, you know, volatile. It's going <laughs> to, it's going to fall apart eventually. Mm -hmm. um, you're always thinking about what's my backup plan. What's my secondary kind of career. Yeah. And I think over this pandemic, I was like, I just want my secondary career to be keep playing music or keep working in the industry in some capacity. Mm. So I, I wanted to get, like I started getting into management and that's kind of like what I'm doing now because I just wanted to invest myself fully into this because it's the only thing I like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not good at uh, driving people around <laughs> and I'm not good at working any jobs. I'm not a strong person. I'm not, I don't have good... Uh, <laughs> can't be on my feet too long i don't know yeah no no, no i don't know exactly i empathize completely and only there's a lot of um i don't know i have friends who have gone into corporate stuff or become lawyers or whatever and, and they sort of look at what i do and i'm sure you might have friends who are similar who look at what you do and and, and just don't quite understand it sure, sure. um because it's like i i'm i'm 36 now and um you know um i'm not on the wage that my fellow friends who are 36 are on but it's yeah. just kind of like this need and this desire to um my enthusiasm for music is so large for the, for the music that I like. Certainly is so large that I, I, I have this desire to share it with the world and to share it with as many people as possible. Um, and even just as someone who writes slash talks about music rather than being in a band himself, even I've had to make sacrifices that uh, if I'd gone into something far more, traditional maybe um you mm -hmm. know i'd be in a far more secure position in my life but i've i've done that because because i just can't imagine living any other way and i know that i'd be miserable if i went down those paths of course those avenues yeah yeah i think that i mean I, that's wonderfully put like I, I i i think during lockdown and everybody really taking stock of their emotions and mental health mm -hmm. and uh their lives and their careers it's like i think that 
a lot of people looked at their careers and went like, there's no security here. Yeah. I need to like find more security in it. I kind of looked at my career and thought like the same thing. Yeah. Like there's no security in this, yeah. but also like I looked at it and I was also like, this is, I'm a young person in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things. And, uh, I know I'm, t- I'm no- I know I'm like uh, at a point in my career. We're ten years into this. I know foxing is at a point in its career where it's like, it's never going to be a huge hit band. You know, like uh, we're not gonna, uh, I don't know, be like a radio band or like have uh, our songs in like movies and stuff. But I do recognize um, your your podcast has a, a Patreon. That's right? right. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. We we have a Patreon as right. well, and uh, in having our Patreon, uh, which has like a Discord and you know a community around it, in in doing that, it was it was so helpful, and that started during the pandemic as well. Same um, for us, exactly the same for us. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you're uh, you're aware of the same thing. Um, the the community around it and like the kind of the message board and everything uh, just got to a place where we're really realizing like it's not about like the measure of success has shifted so hard for us. Um, where it's like, it's really not about us being, you know, top of the pops or, uh, you know, playing these giant stages. It's about the, the quality of the people listening, you know? And I don't mean like the quality of the people, like good, good or bad people. I mean more like the people, how potent their, interest or love of our music is it's really the difference between being a massively successful band or being a band with a cult following and i think that we've realized that we are a band with a cult following in some way a group of people that find it hard to describe why the thing is good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know which is the same of any uh, cult thing i mean i'm i feel like i'm a part of so many cult followings of different things uh that it's like to be at the center of one is so cool. Yeah. And that is the new measure of success for us. And I think that that is, um, I don't know. That's something that we're, I feel like newly, like, uh, really appreciative of. We are, we are on exactly the same page. Um, and I, and I, <laughs> I, I used to work for a national newspaper, which was a, a much bigger platform than I work for now. And, um, you know, that was amazing in so many ways. Um, and I had some incredible experiences and there were definite advantages to it. Um, but uh, in the last three years that we've been doing this podcast, we have kind of quite purposefully been trying to attract our kind of people, I suppose. Not sure. to sound like a dick about it, but like we're not particularly interested in um, being the biggest like we just we don't really care about that we're interested in right. bringing together a community of like-minded people who share the same interests and and who can bond through that as a result and i feel like we're doing an okay like an okay job with that i think the people that we have yeah. listening to us are, are gen in the main like really genuinely fantastic people and i find that so much more rewarding than the alternative which i sort of had a you know brief excursion i mean i was at, at this newspaper for seven years but i kind of had a a look into that ideal and 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 you know for other reasons i won't go into it wasn't really like exactly it wasn't making me fulfilled and happy as much as i felt like it should have been if that makes sense yeah of course i i think we we our measure of success for a very long time i think was similar to what you're talking about is, is thinking like 
so from from our perspective, I guess it was thinking about um, like record sales, yeah. or it became Spotify like numbers, yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah, exactly, or like um, uh, what label is going yeah. to sign yeah, us, yeah, yeah, that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, what venue sizes we were playing. Who was gonna take us out as a support yeah, band? Yeah, um, yeah. That was the measure of success for us for like quite a while, and then I feel—I mean, like I feel like it was kind of changing before uh, the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, I think that it was like the most like everything really changed for us. Uh, and with just this album in general, I think it it changed drastically. Where it was like the measure of success has shifted entirely, yeah. uh, and the kind of like. <laughs> I used to hate like talking in this these terms, but it's like the target audience for our music is now less of a uh, like everyone's the target audience kind of thing, and like we have to appeal to the the, the masses yeah. in some way. Which again, it's funny because you brought up that this is maybe our most accessible record, and it's like the one that we were truly in like a. Uh, like consciously going like we're making this for fans of our band yeah 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 yeah. Uh, and we're trying to do something different but that thing is just so happens to be like uh, like kind of pop centric but the only reason I say that is because like the melodies on this record are just so strong and like I don't I'm not saying that you haven't had a strong sense of melody in the past I think you have but they're just so front and center on songs like Draw down the moon where lightning strikes twice. Uh, uh, Bly stock, buy a stock. However you, however you pronounce that. The uh, in, stock, in, yeah. in, in particular, you know. I mean, when we reviewed the record, both me and my co-host were both like that. Like, if you're gonna listen to one song from this record, make it this that one because that hook is so massive. And really, that's thank you. That's all I mean by sort of a more commercial sensibility. But then at the same time foxing do things in such a way nothing is done in a conventional sense i don't think um i read somewhere i think it was in the spin article that you did i think they put it really really well where they said you do the 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 sort of pop things in an avant-garde way and the avant-garde things in a pop way and i thought that that really sums up foxing quite well actually i thought I don't know if I read that, but I I really appreciate yeah. that, and I and that I is wish, I wish I think, I'd said it. It wasn't me, but it was good. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was good. And that is, uh, I think, I won't say that like we pull that off every time because I don't think we really do. Mm. But I think that's always the goal: mm. is that if we're writing a pop song, make it weird. Yeah. If we're writing a weird song, make it catchy. Yeah. Like yeah. that is, but never, you know. <laughs> If you're writing a pop song, like make it be the pop song. It's yeah. like, you know, and and some and I think what that really comes down to is, especially when Eric and I are staring at, you know, the computer and we're looking at all the tracks. It's kind of that thing of like, um, how are we making the thing different than a what we've already made, mm-hmm. and b different from like what it's inspired by, I guess. You know, like we don't want to recreate anything. I think that where the lightning strikes twice song is like, um, maybe like probably the best example of it. It was like, you know, from where it started, it started as like, whatever, just kind of the vocal melody for the chorus and like sort of the verse stuff and just some chords. And then Eric really applied that kind of like this blondie idea to it, like this disco beat kind of thing. Yes, Um, almost like a yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so then it became a thing of like we're thinking about uh, Queen mm. and Blondie, mm. and then eventually we were like thinking about Muse. Mm. You know, like mm. 
Um, yeah, Knights of Cydonia every, kind of thing. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. of the gallop, yeah. you know? like, uh, And once we kind of establish, like, here's all the things that we're thinking about, and here's what kind of sounds like, it's like, okay, now how is it different from all of those? And how can we, like, apply our own ideas to it? And again, it's not like, did we pull it off kind of thing, but it's like, that, it's what you were, that, what you pulled from, from Spin or whoever said mm-hmm. it, the, the thing of, like, trying to apply this really weird thing to this catchy idea you know heart of glass by blondie is a straight up just catchy awesome song and it's like well how would we do that and make it like uh inaccessible i guess (laughs) yeah um yeah I, i think that's absolutely right earlier you were saying about when you're thinking about different records and lyrical themes and so on you're trying to think about what you're trying to ask and what you're trying to answer yeah on records so what were you trying to ask and answer on Draw Down the Moon? I think what we were trying to ask was, um, are we as individuals significant or insignificant? You know, like that was the, the question to put out in, popped, uh, <laughs> to put out into the universe in some way. And um, I think we, the what we answered with was, Yes, we are insignificant. We are we have no significance as individuals, you know. Um, but it, you know the significant uh, the significance that we bring to the universe is the interaction, the connection that we have between like you and I. You know, mm. you and I are not significant, but us talking over Zoom is. And we've sh- we've shared a lot of things that we can both empathize with, even though we're in different corners of the world. And like, you know, there's an awful lot of totally. Stuff, you know, I I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's there's like an ocean between us. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, just the connection of distance between us is like something significant. And the fact that other people will listen to us talking is a significant thing. So there's mm-hmm. that. Um, and then applying that to like, not just people and like, you know, relationships, but then also ideas like what is your connection, um, to like what you consider home, you know, what is home to you? Uh, do you think of it as like who, like a person, do you think of it as like a house? Is it your city? You know, like for an astronaut, it might be like actually just the planet earth, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, when we come home from tour, we see St. Louis and we see like the arch. I don't know if you know the arch. It's like a monument here. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. When we see the arch, it's like this huge, you know, arch. Uh, and it's right on the river. And when we're coming in uh, to our city, we see it. And everybody, we all get, always get chills because we're like, we're back. Um, yeah. Are you looking it up right now? Yeah, I'm looking it up. Yeah. I'm looking it up. Well, anyway, it's like... Okay, yes, I know this. Yeah, I know yeah, the yeah. arch. Yes, I know the, right. the gateway arch. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so so anyway, um, you know, that that question of home... And the reason that that song's called... Uh, that The song I'm talking about is Bialystok. Uh, mm. The reason why it's called that is because we played a festival in uh, Bialystok in uh, Poland that was the greatest festival, the, the coolest, probably the one of the best days of like any tour that I have ever been on. Um, it was so incredible and uh, um, it was just amazing and um, and there was a point in the day where I just got so unbelievably depressed because it was so fun and I was missing uh, my girlfriend Blake uh, she was at home and I was like 
was just missing her so much. And I was like, why? Uh, I'm having so much fun. Like, why am I so sad about this? Mm-hmm. But that's, and then that's kind of where the lyrics for that song kind of started coming from. Um, but again, it's like kind of trying to answer that question of like, you know, are you by yourself? Do you mean anything? <laughs> and yeah. I, I get, again, we're like positing like, no, you don't. You don't mean anything. But like that connection between you and some someone and something else is it, it, once you start doing the spider web of connections, it becomes the universe, you know? It's that dichotomy between looking at something with glass half full and glass half empty, I suppose, in a way. Yeah. It? You can either look at it as all as kind of like just dust and atoms and stuff and being really massively insignificant. Or you could look at us and as being these like sentient human beings who have, um, you know, uh, uh, connections with people and who, who have uh, thoughts and who have managed to create you know incredible things as history is it's it's just it's it's about perspective i suppose of course and i think glass half full glass half empty i don't know you know you know they they do the thing of uh a mechanic says the glass is twice as big as it needs to be that kind of thing i don't know what this one is but it's like the uh the glass is half empty and that's a good thing is kind of the Mm. perspective that we try to take on for this album where it's like you're you are insignificant and you are nothing and even like there's a song on here called at least we found the floor and the idea of the song is truly um there is no such thing as rock bottom uh misfortune and uh you know uh, boon are infinite ideas like there is no limit to how good things can get and there's no limit to how bad they can get um which is a pessimistic idea in its in itself because i'm focusing on the bad like you have no rock bottom. Um, things not only can be worse than they are right now, they will be worse. Things will yeah. always be worse until you are dead. And like, <laughs> I, that is a pessimistic idea, but I yeah. think it is a, it, again, it's like the, the glass is half, half empty and it's good. It's good, a good thing that it is. Uh, yeah. It's good that there is no limit to how bad things get because that also means there is no limit to how good things can be. Um, exactly, yeah. You know, and like I, I talked to somebody about this. It was an interview, and and they were like trying to keep bringing it back to like. So what you're saying is things can always be worse. So you should be grateful. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, <laughs> and that's fine if that's the way you think of it. But the mm-hmm. idea of the song is meant to be. It's not that. It's that. It's an infinite spectrum of good and fortune and misfortune. Uh, it's not about taking being grateful. Like I don't, I'm not writing about that. I'm not saying like, you know, Mm. appreciate what you got. I'm saying like, recognize that, you know, the things will always be bad. Be prepared for that and always get excited when the thing is as good as it can be. We have a, um, an artist who we kind of, um, uh, are very positive about on this podcast called Jamie Lemon. He he released a record called Devolver. He used to be in a band called Ruben. Oh, Maybe I know the name. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yes. So we're, we're, we're really big fans of Jamie on this podcast and he's been on a few times and he uh, wrote a record called Devolver and the title track, the chorus is him singing. I'm insignificant. Mm. 
but in a very joyous sort of way yeah and it's exploring exactly the same sort of thing that you that you were talking about and i remember interviewing him for about it and actually not really getting the concept of what he was talking about until i i spoke to him i was like that's such a downer of an ending to the Mm. record it's like you see i don't see it as a downer at all i think it's fantastic to kind of realize your place in the world and then but be be aware that you know just try to do your your damn best and if it doesn't work out it doesn't matter yeah like at the end of the day it doesn't matter you know and and he found that very freeing of course um you know that is um this is by far the most you know i mean the context for this record of global pandemic and everything being horrible uh this album helped me so much just writing um i've never felt better about writing something i've never felt as good writing something i guess uh, like, I'm very proud of it, but also it was a very uh, helpful thing. And it's mainly because it wasn't some, like, totally positive thing the whole time. It was really it was really asking that question and then seeing, yeah. like, can, can we answer it? Um, and I don't know. I, like, I appreciate, like, I'm, I, I want to check out uh, Jamie Lenman now. Um, oh, yeah, please do. It's a fantastic record. But, that, yeah, I, I think that it is an extremely freeing idea it's it's a lot more freeing than like i don't know focusing on something that is um like i i really love when artists tell stories um Mm. like straight up like beginning middle end kind of stories in songs Mm. i don't have any interest in like really doing that mainly because it's like it feels very confined as opposed to Mm. like realizing something as you write it um Mm -hmm. And this album kind of created that uh, more than any that we've written in the past. It was like, I, I think I was like finding out a lot of things about myself through writing the thing, which is rare. And I loved mm. it. Uh, is there anything you found out about yourself that you're willing to share with a few thousand people? Or? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, like, okay, so the very first song, 737, um, mm. I was writing that. We we took mushrooms when we were in Amsterdam and mm. had just, like, a really uh, intense mushroom trip. And um, mm. and when I was coming down from it, uh, I was, you know, writing the lyrics to the song uh, and really, like, so appreciative of my friends because I was, you know, I was thinking about like, we flew in on this, you know, Boeing 737 and, you know, I was reading about like the way that they recycle these planes for like other companies (laughs) and they keep like painting over them and painting the new logo on there. And then like, uh, you know, they just do it over and over until Mm -hmm. the plane goes to the plane graveyard. And it was like, you know, we're flying all over the world together. We do a mushroom trip together or whatever. You know, like we're growing and we're aging and we're getting so old, like so old. I'm saying this as a 28 year old. 29 year old. No, yeah. I understand what you mean. But no, but like we're, we're growing old together and yeah. watching yeah. each other age. And it's so, I feel so emotional to think about it, both, you know, sober and especially when you're on mushrooms. And, um, and I was just thinking about like, I was thinking about that and I was kind of just writing, uh, writing these ideas down and it really kind of, it made me very emotional, like reading it later 
like after not being high and uh and really thinking about it was like i wrote the kind of like the beginning of that the idea of uh being a being a 737 being an airplane that's like just painted over and over again until you die um and then when i wasn't high i started writing about the opposite like kind of being a the mars rover you know like kind of being a robot alone on mars um and kind of the connection between them being like you you kind of you die alone but at the same time you age together you like age yeah. with all these other people and it's yeah. like just trying to trying to like just for a second be aware of the fact that you're alive and you're aging with somebody else is yeah. so powerful and it's something that I don't ever really do and I think it was only in writing that stuff out that I was like I started taking those moments and trying desperately to like grasp onto moments and go like oh my god like I'm alive right now and I won't always be you know and like yeah it's so important to me that like not just that, but I've found these people that I like get to share this like just tiny brief amount of time in, in the grand, uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah. And being grateful that it's those people. Yeah, of course. Exactly. That it's those people. Um, the very last thing I'm going to ask you, just almost as a tantalizing thing. Um, I, I read again that, you know, in terms of like how foxing records could sound different and all that sort of thing, there was a little tease that I'm not suggesting that you're saying that this is definitely going to, going to happen. But, um, there's a little quote where you said that the next album could go full slipknot and that isn't, isn't off the table. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to like give the impression that the fifth record is definitely going to be like a slipknot record or anything like that. But, um, you also talk about how you were frustrated that society had, had squandered this global opportunity to come together more um, during the pandemic. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to feel. So so what, what, what are your feelings on that at the moment? I mean, I say that as a last question. I feel like we could wang on about that for another 30 minutes, but no, I mean, I, I <laughs> as think succinctly as you would like to put it. How, how I feel about that is actually kind of straightforward. It's like in, um, okay. in one regard, you know, when I was talking about how we kind of started writing this record and how it like just doing it became how it came together. I think with this record, I, I've already told Eric about this, but like, I want to be a lot more, um, like more collaborative than we were on this last album. Like I want to like dive way deeper into just being like a, a unit with John and Eric, um, and how we like write these songs. And I don't exactly know what that means in terms of how it'll happen. I just know that like I I want to share like the experience together in doing it. Mm-hmm. So however mm-hmm. that needs to happen, um, you know, I want to do. And I think <laughs> I, I do think like just recognizing what all three of us love uh, musically is like heavier moments like when we mm-hmm. play even in our songs it's like when we hit heavy moments of our songs we're all kind of like looking at each other like yeah that's is, the bit where you're is, all like yes yeah this is the shit yeah, yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah. so i i don't know you know we could write a lo-fi or like a soft you know a yacht rock album or something yeah, next yeah. i really yeah. don't know but one thing i do know is like lyrically speaking i i'm you know i want to write an angry thing so it could be it could be like a, a a soft rock, smooth jazz, but like uh, uh, <laughs> singing about very angry ideas, and that might be cool. Yeah, 
I think when uh, we said s- full Slipknot, uh, a it's like, yeah, well, Slipknot is one of the few bands that like all three of us agree is you know one of our favorite bands. That you uh, love, yeah. But then the other aspect of that is like, uh, I think it's just the moment, you know, like we're we're right now we're like I want to write just something very aggressive, but also our album just came out, so maybe yeah. we'll have a different mentality. <laughs> Yeah, by the time you come around to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, I think the most exciting thing about that is, um, you know, whenever that fifth record comes, um, whilst I have no idea what it's going to sound like and you have no idea what it's going to sound like, I actually think that makes it more exciting. And I have more than enough trust with the last four records that it's going to be something that is well worth hearing. And um, I, I have absolute faith in that because of the things that you've done previously. So I'm very much looking forward to that when it does come. Um, Connor, you have been so kind with your time. Um, thank you so much for sitting down and talking talking to me for quite a long time today uh, and, um, and putting up with my very strange existential questions. Uh, I really... <laughs> thank you for putting really up with my it. very strange answers. That's, I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Connor, thank you so much. Draw Down the Moon is out now. I'm very much hoping you'll get over to the UK at some point Me soon. Too. I, I'm sure there are, I'm um, hopefully there are plans afoot. Um, there's nothing announced yet, as of, as yeah. of yet, I don't think. But hopefully, once you do, then... Um, there's always plans, uh, you know? Yeah, there's always we've, plans. We've got yeah, plans yeah, yeah. for it. It's just, is it going to happen? Yeah, amazing. Cool. Well, I will be there when you're there. So, uh, awesome. yeah, um, it would be awesome to see you there. Uh, thank you so much, Connor. Have a great thank day. Thank you. You too. Cool. We'll see you thank later. You.